What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Inquiries of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries, which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, come donate over on Anchor or Kofi. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at inquiriesofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the Linktree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello everyone and welcome to the 52nd episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me I have author and contactee Dave Emmons. How's it going today? It's going great, Shane. Thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for allowing me to to talk about uh, certain things that I've done, especially writing books. And uh, uh, I just become an author. I guess I started in October, a little late. I'm a late bloomer, so <laughs> I started writing in October, and and it coincides with a freezing session I had uh, in September second. It it I think it catapulted me into writing. The next following month in October, I started writing. So I'll, I'll talk about those sessions. Say better late than never, though, because, I mean, at least you're doing it now. That's all that really matters, right? right you can't on. regret not doing it too earlier because it, everything kind of plays out and happens in its own way that it's intended to. That's it. That's right. Uh, but no, a little bit about me. I've, uh, I'm retired, been retired for a while, and I was in the military service after high school. I was a platoon sergeant in Vietnam, and I wrote a book called Senseless Wars and Conflicts, a perspective of a of a combat veteran. That book will be out in about three weeks. The book I'll be mostly talking about now is the one that was released a couple months ago, and it's called They, What Do They Want? And I figured out a lot of different things of what they want, and I've been finding out from a lot of people uh, that are hosts and a lot of people that are my guests, and I find out all kinds of bits and pieces of the puzzle. Uh, after the military, I, I was had top secret uh, clearance there too. I was in nuclear weapons at the Red Zone Arsenal, 
And people ask me, and I've had people kind of say, well, why did why'd you get out of that? Well, I was only about 20, year, not even 20 yet. And I was in a class of 15 people, and all of them had degrees. I just had a high school diploma. I just tested out really well when I, when I went in service. So they let me do anything I wanted, so I picked that. Wrong choice. I didn't want that after all. I didn't like the weekly intel sessions they had with us in this little meeting room, little convention hall. And I didn't like that. It just got to me. And uh, they said it was going to go. It was going to go to Sandia, New Mexico afterwards. I didn't want to do that. I thought, okay, I go to Sandia. I'm going to go. I'm going to go underground. I'll never be seen again. You know, so I, I was I just that, that young guy impression. And these other guys, of course, they're older than me, and they understood a little bit better, and they're more educated than I was. But I had to go to the post chaplain to get out of that. So I got out of that, and I had one guy say, "Oh." you got a dishonorable discharge. I said, no, I didn't. I said, I stayed in, I got a different MOS. And then I stayed and then I, I went to Vietnam cause my other brother, we went to service together. He, his wife was going to have a baby. So I said, no, I'm gonna go instead of him. So I told my captain, I said, put orders in for me to go to Vietnam. I wanna stop him from going. So I was single at the time. So I went to Vietnam instead of him. I blocked him from going. Brothers didn't have to serve in combat together. So I did that. And uh, I, I guess I should have gotten a couple of bronze stars, but it, within politics that happens in the military, uh, it's who you know. And I think one time it's cause a lieutenant ran out on me. We was getting hit and he dashed out, he ran, he got scared. So I had to take over uh, all the artillery and everything. So uh, that is another story. I've got a lot of, there's some stories. These stories are in my book, uh, Senseless Wars, uh, memoirs. Half of the book is memoirs and the other half are is there are the conflicts we've had, like Iraq, uh, Korea, Afghanistan. I list the number of people that got killed and, and our treasure that we lost, all the money we lost on all these. And none of them really panned out even today in Afghanistan with Biden giving away that, 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 uh, all that equipment. But mm -hmm. I, that's, in, that's in part of my book and that. And, and through most of my life, I've been a musician for 45 years. I play guitar and I also play drums. Drums are my main instrument, I guess. But I also worked uh, in a refinery as a lead man, supervisor, and I worked as an electrician. I was a business owner, nightclub owner, and I managed a couple other businesses uh, during my lifetime. But I've had a lot of diversity in my background as far as careers are concerned. I, I never did write, but I've been on radio a little bit before, and I've done narration in training films. Uh, but I never wrote those narration. I had somebody else, a director, do that. But mm -hmm. I, uh, at this late stage in October, I started writing a book, and I should have three done probably before the end of the summer. And I just started in October, so that'll be maybe nine months. I'll write three books. So um, <laughs> I'm that's a lot to, in that short amount of time, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get this bucket list done. Really, it's it's a bucket list. And I want to get it done. And there's things I want to tell people. Uh, I wanted to tell people about the ETs and UFOs in my first book. Second book, I wanted to tell them about wars and how wasteful they are to all of us. And they and it's the elite that send out us poor guys. Uh, my brother and I, we were too poor to go to college. So here's what they did. I'm uh, going backwards now a little bit. But just to tell people to kind of wise up about what's going on with this world, hmm. our country, with our politicians and uh, the elite and the people that use us. Uh, back, even back in, in 60, 
nine and sixty eight, they they told the counselor told us, well, you you guys, you two will probably have to go in the military. We said, why? You go, oh, we've already sent the the county, you know, uh, you know, draft board. We sent them your name already. I said, why did you do that? I says because you're too poor to go to college. Wow. Yes, that, <laughs> they did that. With, and he, and this one counselor told me, he said, he said, we do that with all the poor kids, the poor guys that can't go, uh, can't go to college. Then you, you just, you don't get no deferment. You just, you go to service. I said, that's fine. I'll go. But at the end of my three years, I, I was offered a lieutenant. I was a field commission. Uh, they, they offered that to me before I got out and I didn't want it. I just wanted to get out. Mm. I was to Vietnam and a whole bit. Uh, but that, goes back into my ET experiences. And now we'll talk about the book, I guess, uh, Shane. The first started back in 1962, actually. I have an experience that look, I was outside playing, and this is in Illinois, and I've seen all my UFOs and my strange things in Illinois. So that's, I traveled out west and I ran into a couple of weird things there too, but in Illinois, I saw most everything I wanted to see. Really, I was playing outside about eight thirty. It was getting, it was getting starting a little, little dark. It was, it was, uh, it was summertime, and all my other brothers and sisters were inside watching TV, and I just so happened to be standing out in the backyard, and I saw this thing that looked like a little flat barge, rectangular thing. It had bright lights in the front, and underneath it had blue, like glowing, and it was kind of a, a misty type bluish uh, color. I looked at it and I was afraid, you know, because my mom always told me, said, don't ever go near a flying saucer because mm. on the radio, they were telling us back in the fifties and in the sixties, don't go near the, you know, flying saucers. If you see one, stay clear of it, run away. Don't go near it. Oh, that didn't work for me. <laughs> but uh, I was standing here watching this ship come by and it was right beside my house. It was about 75 feet up. And I was wondering what was going on. And I, I kind of froze. I didn't really know what went on at that time. So they must have really zapped me because I ended up going in. Somebody or something took me in the house. Late, I, my brother and I had to share a bed. There was a there was eleven of us in the family, so had to share a share a bed with my older brother. So I laid there. I couldn't move. My legs were numb, and I felt like somebody was standing next to me. And I thought, Oh no, what's you know what is going on? And heck, at that time, I was what, only 13. Uh, so and I thought, wow, this is something. And then I felt that this, whoever was next to me left. And I, I cut my feelings back in my legs. And I turned to my brother and I woke him up and said, did you hear or see anything? He said, no, go back to sleep. And uh, he said some other few <laughs> good words to me, but I can't, I don't want to say them on air. But, uh, <laughs> so I laid there and thought, what was this all about? But, you know, that was an experience that, that just kind of worked on me. You know, it's kind of like that 15 minutes of fame. Mm -hmm. And then you, 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 tell, you tell your parents and they, t they tell you, oh, you're crazy. You had a dream. Said, I said, Mom, I, had, I was outside. I wasn't dreaming outside uh, when it started. But I, don't, I didn't know what the heck happened in between all that time. That was the only, I think, you know, UFO that I saw that I didn't have some attached story that I can, you know, that I can kind of take a look at but that was the beginning about a year later this was my first real recorded but the first one was real too but it, was, it felt like i was in dreamland with that it was kind of hard to explain it 
so but this one here is a very explainable story because my best friend and I at the time I was 14 he was 13 this is in 1963 we were sitting on the steps and we was drinking Pepsi uh, soda out of a glass bottle that dates <laughs> me right there in the tank <laughs> And the 10 transistor radio, uh, it was kind of cracking and popping. And I asked my buddy, and uh, his name's Dave, and, and I said, did you do anything with the batteries or did you get new? He said, I just replaced the batteries. Yes. And I said, okay, good. I said, uh, then we we smelled something. It smelled like sulfur. And it was ozone is what it was. Uh, we we kind of thought, well, maybe it's sulfur because as young kids, we didn't know much about chemical analysis or smells. So it, it was ozone and we saw these lights, small lights, they weren't really big, coming over the treetops. So this thing was only up about 40 feet, 45, 50 feet at the most. We could see the lights kind of glistening through the tops of the trees and the, and the leaves. And so my buddy said, let's, let's go get a flashlight on my dad's truck. So we walked up the steps and, and went to his dad's truck, got a flashlight, start walking the street parallel with this movement of this UFO. He starts flashing the, the light at it. And, and he was telling me in a, in a memory that he says that the, it was flashing its lights back. But after I thought about it for a while and after what I saw, the, the lights were actually hitting the tops of the trees and they'd go out. And then when they get past the leaves and they'd come back on and they weren't really blinking at us. They were just following us. They were intent on, on the, I guess, putting a hit on us, really. That's what they do. That's what Dr. David Jacobs told me, mm-hmm. that they get within 100 feet of you. If they're 100, 150 feet in the air over you, he said they have intentions. So that's he said that happens all the time. He said no matter what, he said that's usually the, the math that you use. So they're usually 100, 150 feet above you. They have intentions on, on you know checking you out. So we walked up to this empty lot. It over, actually overlooked my house and my backyard. It's just a little hump that comes up. And we stood there and we watched this thing. And we pinched each other to make sure we seen what we were seeing. And, and he pinched me a little hard and I said, ouch, that hurt. And I remember the conversation. I said, I, I, I wish my brother Jack was here to see this. And he said, yeah, you know, cause we all three hung together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was kind of like we were like it, we mesmerized by this thing. I was looking. I was looking at the the portals, the windows. This thing had to be 35, maybe 35 to 40 feet wide, and about 20 feet tall. It had. It looked like one of these little fat old tops that you spun with a with a little screw type of gadget. Yeah. Go around. Well, it had three levels on it, and it was kind of bulbous, and it kind of reminded me of the old Nazi uh, flying saucer that they had pictured in in some of the old documentaries. The but, bell? No, not the bell. It was a, it was a, they had a, a, actually a flying saucer looking object that looked rounded at the bottom. And then there was another second roll, like a, like a donut, but they didn't have a third top. This one had a top on it that was about five, six feet wide. And it was kind of rounded too. And it had the, it had a couple of things sticking on the top of like antennae. I've told a few experts about it was an antenna and they said, no, they don't communicate like we do. So the, well, I, I said, what were those? What were they then, you know, if they were communication devices? So we stood there looking at this thing. I was looking at the, the portals, the windows, because that's, I said, I don't want to see these things. I told my buddy, I said, it looks like they're, I, this is scary. And I mm-hmm. said, you might look out the window. We saw shadows moving around. My buddy heard a little hissing 
buzzing sound. I didn't hear that. And sometimes you'll have people that are right together and they see something and one might be focused on one thing and the other one might be focused on other. I was more visual. I was looking at the portals. I was watching the ship and seeing what it was doing. And he heard, he was listening to it and he heard a little buzzing. I didn't hear it, but I'm not saying it wasn't there because I have heard buzzing and hissing from another larger ship years later. But we stood there and we didn't know what time it was. It had to be past 10 o'clock, 10.30, I was estimating. And we we kind of went like, we didn't know what was going on. It was, you just kind of go blank. And they picked us up because uh, two, three weeks later, I have evidence of them taking us on board ship. So we stood there and went, then all of a sudden we, we woke back up like standing there in the same place and we said, oh, wow, that was neat. And I, I was still watching the ship. And the ship kind of was, it went, it moved about 30 degrees on us from the southwest. And then it moved to the west a little bit more. And and it took off real fast. It just, it was gone in the clouds. I saw it take off. Now, my buddy didn't see that. Uh, he didn't see it take off. And I said, yeah, I did. I said, I just, it just went, it just zoomed right out and the clouds is gone. And so we, he said, I'm going to go and tell my dad that we saw a flying saucer. I said, yeah, I want to tell my mom. So he goes and tells his dad. And he said, his, his dad told me, yes, son, yes, son, go to, go to bed. Well, you saw a flying saucer, great deal, you know, good deal. <laughs> so <laughs> I went home. My mom had the doors locked. And normally she didn't really lock up the doors unless it was late. And they would usually go to bed around 11 o'clock or whatever after the news. And I knew it had to be between 11 and midnight. So we had about an hour or so missing time, and I couldn't figure it out. And I knocked on the door. My mom took the locks off, and she said, where have you been? You know how late it is? I wish she would have told me how late it was because we didn't have watches. I, you know, I couldn't tell what time it was. I wish she would have told me what time it was, uh, like saying, it's midnight, and you're, you're out this late. I said, we saw a flying saucer. And she said, I'll fly and saucer your ass. She said, get in the house. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason why she said that is because there's more to her stories also that why she was afraid of flying saucers because her family has seen a couple and she's seen things. And that's why she kept warning us, don't get around or near flying saucers or, or these UFOs. She didn't, we didn't call them UFOs back then, just flying saucers. So that happened and my buddy and i talked to our friends and we told them they laughed at us and they yeah, said yeah sure you know you saw a ufo or, or flying saucer and uh, so we you as kids you shut up pretty quick because you don't want to be you don't want to be made a fool out of you know you don't want to attract all the bullies in the school you know so you just kind of shut up and go along with it so we kind of forgot about it but what happened to me about two or three weeks later was an indicator that something really did happen. And I told my buddy this, and he, uh, I think I told him some years ago, but he forgot about this. I was, I felt something in my left testicle. It was a little lump. And I said, what the heck is that? And so I felt around and it felt like a lump and I looked at it and I kind of tightened it up a little bit looked, and it looked like an Advil tablet under my skin. The weird thing about it, there was a little red line looked like a little laser line that was cut into my sack of my testicle. And I thought, what is going on? And then I thought about the UFO, you know, the flying saucer. I said, maybe, maybe. And then I, I kept, then I started pushing it out. That same cut line 
I started pushing that thing out. It didn't hurt. It, it come right out from the cut line. And I thought that was weird. It come right out of that cut line. It didn't even, didn't even hurt me. And then as, as I had it out in my hand, it was kind of like tan, light tan color. Uh, and it, uh, after I had it up for a while, the oxygen started making it turn darker and darker. I showed my mom and she said, oh, that's just an ingrown hair or something. I said, no, mom, no. And she goes, what do you mean? No, don't tell me. No. I said, mom, there's a hole cut for it. And then she stops. She froze. She looked at me. She, what do you mean a hole? I said, there was about a line. It was about three quarters or an inch long. I said, it was a thin red line that I took this thing back out of and it didn't bleed. It didn't hurt me or nothing. And she goes, she kind of looks at me like, okay, I got her. You know, I, she, she was frozen. She didn't, she said, just throw it away. Just throw it away. We didn't have ways of analyzing that back then in those days anyway. We didn't have scientists or anybody that would be working on that, that kind of stuff analyzing. Today we do. In the last 20 years or so we did. Uh, but that told me that something happened. And then several years, now this is several years later, this is during the time that things got a little slow for me in the 70s and, and 80s because I saw bright orbs in the sky. But at the same time I had that, I had a regressed dream about my buddy and I being on this craft. I was sitting on a metal table. It was a shiny metal table and it was dark in the room and I could feel it was warm. It was really stuffy and warm and it was dark. But I can tell my buddy was in the room. I can feel his presence, but I didn't know, I didn't see him. And I thought, okay, this is weird. And then I tried to button the shirt. Of course, the shirt was too small for me. And my nickname was Lardy, so we won't go any further than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kids can be mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, but th that was my actual nickname. They, they called me, I, matter of fact, my friend's dad is the one who started that name. But I tried to button the shirt and I couldn't. And so I ended up with the right shirt, apparently. And, and it was my buddy's shirt because he's smaller than me. He was a skinny thing compared to me. So we, uh, uh, we, we, they got our shirts straight, apparently. We landed up back in that empty lot. So that was a regressed dream. And then I remembered more of what we said to each other. We, were, we, we talked more to each other while we were standing there waiting, you know, to see what was going to happen to this ship. And, but... I remember telling him, you know, uh, joking to him about, I said, why don't they take us? You know, what's going to happen? He said, oh, no, they're not going to take us. They're just going to look at us and fly away. So, you know, the, that conversation went on. That was regressed. I regressed that conversation a little bit. And I've actually got the actual words written in my ledger. I kept a, a ledger. It's about 280 type pages. And uh, since I'm a journalist, I went to school for journalism. Uh, I got about five years of college of journalism and that's that's how i was trained to write scientific notes and write notes and keep notes keep them compiled so i did that i have i i still got that ledger and uh, a lot of it i didn't put in the book i didn't have enough room to put everything from that ledger in a book but those stories are in my ledger and i can probably go back through them and take a look at them and refresh my memory exactly what was said and what went on but to go on through the years in the 70s i was going to school, playing music three nights a week, working five, six days a week on my job. And I was quite busy in the 70s. I got married during that time too, in the mid 70s. And 80s, playing music, doing the same thing. 
I was still kind of like taking night school. I was kind of a slow student, not really, but I was just, you know, just taking, you know, night classes as they came. I didn't, because I was so busy with everything else, I passed out one time. Doctor told me to slow down. I said, okay, I'll have to do something there. But, uh, but I was really busy those in those those uh, years. But I always felt a connection. I'd always look up and I'd I'd see orbs and I'd see these things around. And somebody asked me, said, well, you didn't didn't have much going on. I said, I probably did, and I really didn't realize it because I was a party person. I was I played music and we we would drink a lot. I didn't do drugs. And that's a fact. I really didn't do drugs being a musician, rock and roll musician, but I, I did drink a lot in back in those years. So I might have been, you know, abducted and not know it because uh, David Jacobs says 50% of the people that are abducted don't even know it. You know, they, they might wake up and scratch their heads and say, that was a weird dream, you know, something like that. So those years didn't, re I saw, like I said, orbs and, and things of that nature. And they kept tabs of me. I just knew there was something always kind of like watching me, and not knowing it, there could be something in me. There's they, they say aliens can attach to you like a like an energy, like a, a spiritual energy. They have they can attach to a human being and live in that body, and and that's scary. I just saw some some uh, stories about that here a while back, but in 1995, they come back. And this time, kind of with a vengeance. And I, I was in my house. I was married at the time, my second wife. <laughs> sad, sad. But uh, no, I was married at the time. Had an adopted daughter, and she kept the bedroom dark. My wife did at the time, in '95. And my daughter had headaches, so she'd go to our master bedroom and go into the uh, master. Uh, bathroom there and, and she would get aspirin or something but I saw something walk past the, the mirror it's strange when I feel this energy I wake up and I've this has happened to me several times uh, matter of fact going back to 1972 the year I got out of the military I spent a few months there at my mom and dad's house before I went and got a, a and shared a house with a buddy I uh, I was about three o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm going back now. I'll come back to this other one. But this one, this one happened in 72. And I woke up about three o'clock, the bewitching hour. And I sensed something being there watching me. I looked up and I saw this woman in like a real pretty white flowing dress, like a, like a wedding gown. And it had, it had a veil over her face. Now, almost like ghostly or. Now, yeah, it was kind of like ghostly, but it it was pretty solid. I mean, it looked solid, didn't look, uh, you know, I couldn't see through it or anything. It was pretty solid. I couldn't tell, and now I'm starting to think, was that a robed man or, you know, from back in the day or back in the ancient days? Was it a robed man or a woman in a kind of like a wedding dress? Uh, it's hard to tell because the, the robes were kind of like similar. Yeah, but it stood there and looked at me for a little while, and I looked at it, and then it turned and walked, and I walked across the hall and went into my mom's bedroom. I followed it, and I walked in my mom's bedroom. I didn't see it; it disappeared. I asked my mom, "said Did you see anything?" She goes, "No." What was I supposed to see? I said, "A woman all in white with a veil." I said, "It was weird." She she was standing at the end of my bed. She said, "No, I didn't see it." And okay, coming back to 1995, that was 72, and this is why I was I was. 
I'm writing the book Angels now, Angels, Watchers, and the Mysterious uh, History. And that's why I'm writing that book, because I saw a couple of angels, you know, right outright. And I had a couple of things happen to me that actually caused me to think that something helped me or helped me survive. But I'm going to get the 95. My my daughter was walking. I thought it was her, but it wasn't. It was, there's a dark image on the mirror on the dresser. And then it come around, and I switched hands, and I was holding my chin in my palm of my hand, and I was looking at it. And then it walked around the side of the bed. It was only sticking about a foot and a half above the side of my bed. And it was only about four feet tall, this little critter. And he had the wrinklest face. He, you know, he was a gray, small gray alien, except he was really ugly and wrinkled. I mean, this thing just, I, I, I said, this is not the TV or movies type of uh, gray alien that you see. This thing was really wrinkled and, and it didn't have the black lenses on. It had it had eyes like us. I could see the white pupils, but I, I, I couldn't tell what color eyes was. It was dark, but I could see the white pupils, and the eyes were about twice our size, and they didn't have the lenses on, like I said, because maybe it was dark enough for him not to have the lenses. But he stood there, and he looked at me with his eyes, and I felt fear for about five seconds or six seconds, somewhere like that. And then I felt, it, you know, I, I felt like I was at ease, and I fell back, and I went to sleep. I fell out. He knocked me out is what he did. He, he, he just put me out. And about an hour or so later, I, I woke up and my eyes were really twitching and, and just, I just opening and closing. I couldn't stop them. I asked my wife, said, did you see or hear anything? She goes, no, go, you know, go back to bed. And, and she, she's just like other people. I have my wife now who's, when I go through these freezing sessions, we'll get to that. But uh, she's knocked out too. Anybody that you're laying with, if you're their target, the other person is going to be hit with a slight energy that keeps them asleep. It's kind of like a magnetic energy they use on you. I call it dumbing down. They I've dumb heard that from a few different stories too, where they say that uh, a couple different people that are in the room with them had almost no recollection of anything happening or even seeing anything or even reacting to anything. Right. And I've had a couple people say it almost feels like time being slowed down. Right. They do that and they knock you out if you're in bed, but also with dogs and animals, they'll actually put them to sleep because yeah, they don't want any problem. They just, they're on a little mission. Apparently his mission was to collect DNA from me, frequency readings from me, also uh, semen samples. And I think I know where those semen samples went later on, but uh, he, he was there and he looked, he, he, he was the only one I saw. There's just one of them. Usually there's two or three of them. Maybe the other one, you know, the other one was maybe following in behind him, but he's the one who come up to me first and looked me square in the face and, and just knocked me out. Uh, I got up and I started splashing water in my face, trying to stop my eyes from just jumping all over the place. And I, I couldn't go back to sleep. So I went in and watched TV and I thought to myself, this is crazy. This is crazy. They're back. You know, they're coming back. I thought maybe I was, I was done with them, you know, early on. Mm -hmm. But they're they're back, I said to myself. And, uh, and I, I told other people about that. And they said, I said, wow, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure I was awake. I was not asleep. That I, I didn't go to sleep that night after seeing this little gray critter, uh, big eyes. He was gray, gray green. He's kind of like a darker gray and green uh, that I've seen on TV and movies. But I went in and watched TV for about an hour or so because I had to go to work that morning anyway early. So I, I, I couldn't get back to bed. I mean, my adrenaline was flowing. 
I went to work, told the guys at the refinery, and I was kind of a lead man there, and, and they, uh, they told me, said, Dave, you're crazy. You're seeing all this stuff. I said, well, I am. I said, I don't know why. You know, it's like they always ask, why me? That's what happens all the time. The other thing that happened to me there at the refinery in 2001, uh, I was going up 14 uh, stories on, on a reactor vessel and stairs went around it. And I went up there to check things. You got to check the machinery and the vessels, make sure there's no hot spots. But I was up there about 140 feet and I saw this, this uh, aluminum looking shiny stainless steel, I guess that type of glider looking thing is coming towards me from the east. It was traveling pretty slow. I was looking at it and I called down to the control room. I said, guys, look out, you might see a UFO. And I kind of figured this was a UFO and it turned out that it was because it come up really close to me, about 40 feet away. It was about 15 feet wide and probably about 15 feet long, the fuselage. And it only had one vertical uh, winged tail on it. And it, the wings kind of swept back a little bit. It didn't have a cockpit did not make any noise. It didn't, it wasn't aerodynamic from what I could see. And especially if it's coming over a refinery, that's against the law. The EPA has, has uh, warnings and they can be arrested or have their, their, you know, their license taken away from them for coming over a refinery. So I thought, well, this is not a human being. I, I can't tell who's in it there. There's no cockpit, no sound, no nothing. And then it turned to the south and it floated away real slow. And I thought, oh, my God, here I go again. And I went down and told those guys, said, you guys should have seen it. I said, Dave, you're crazy. Well, a night or two later, it left me with a download. And you might hear about people getting downloads and uploads from, from uh, UFOs or, or craft that we don't know about. But it left me a morsel. I had a dream, a very vivid dream about a night or two later that I was in a refinery. Everything was quiet. I was walking through the equipment, and usually it's really loud. And I'd go into the blower room, which was really incredibly loud, but it was down. It was shut down. I walk out, and I didn't see any lights or anything, so I ran in the control room, opened up the door, and all the control room lights were out. I was kind of like in shock for a few seconds in this dream. I mean, it was like it was, I was right there. It was a very lucid dream. And I thought, wow this is this is crazy where's everybody and then come to me it says a message come to me telepathically said the plant will be shut down in just a few short months i said wow okay so the next day i come in i tell the guys i said you know we're putting in five six million dollars of renovation in this in this unit i said but they're going to shut this plant down in just maybe three or four months and they said you're crazy you're crazy dave and at that point, I had a bad vertebrae in my back, and I had to get surgery from it. I didn't hurt it at work. I, it's just stenosis, so I, I had to go for surgery. So that put me out of action for a couple of months. And uh, they told me that the plant was shutting down. And I said, I wasn't there to kind of tell them, I told you so. So the plant <laughs> shut down. It actually did. So they, they kind of threw me a little more so, a little tidbit of the future to come. And that's that's how they you know how they work with you. They they'll upload and download from you, and I always ask them. I said, if you're going to you know mess with me, I said leave me something that I could really chew on. You know, give me some wisdom or knowledge or something that that maybe I could utilize for technology or something. I I mean, let's trade off. Okay, you're messing with me. You're taking my DNA and all this other stuff. I said, let's trade off a little bit. 
and I always say that in my in my thoughts and thinking maybe that maybe one day they'll they'll give me some real good technology, uh, but they haven't yet. I haven't been able to get my hands on any any apparatus or any tools. But in '09, when things started really happening to me, in in '09, this was '01 and '05. Uh, I had the restaurant and I was really busy tired if they would have done something to me then i would have never known it i worked 18 hours a day oh, wow uh, yeah i'm sure they they would have i'm sure they contacted me because they kept tracking me quite a bit uh there was always things in the house that was that would be weird things would be moved i'd be you know woke up at night from a noise or something uh and i'd even be shocked sometimes my fingers would be shocked uh and i knew that they were there uh there's always some kind of a presence but in 09, things kind of really went really weird. And through the 09 and 10, I had things that were, that were happening like paranormally. Uh, they'd be paranormal things, not quite ghosts, but kind of like invisible uh, entities that would be in the house and I'd see shadows, uh, the shadow people they call them. Well, these are entities that are invisible that are kind of creating a shadow from some light that's hitting them. So they're not really what you call shadow. They are shadow people, but they're actual shadows of something that's invisible. Because I know I've had, had them in this house uh, two years ago, and I had them back in the, in the 2005 and through 09. I had those paranormal things happen. And I knew they, they never left me. And I always talked to my mom about it, and then she would tell me some of her stories. She she actually saw these dark, tall, linky guys walking down her hallway, and into her room, and they would I guess they would uh, touch her, push her around, and and take tests on her or whatever. She wouldn't tell me everything, but she felt like she was almost being well, like molested. And I said I said wow I said well they do things weird that's that's for sure. They, uh, like one night they got in working on me, and then they they pulled my right foot down really hard and uh, you know, I was laying in bed and it just it hurt you know I, I woke up and said oh man that hurt if somebody pulled my foot down it was sore it was they did that to wake me up to make sure I wasn't dead they don't want to kill you if they knock you out and they do tests on you and they're running these experiments on you they don't want they really don't want to kill you they, they they try their best to make sure that you're awake and you're okay you're normal they want they want they want to see you pop out of this thing you know, out of, out of when they knock you out. But the, in 2010, 09, those things were happening. But 2010, I went to Sedona, Arizona. And like I said, I didn't see any UFOs out there and out west. But I went to a, uh, she was actually a half a Native American Indian. And she was a, a spiritual guide. And my buddy who writes ghost books, uh, he told me to go to her. And I went to her uh, a couple of weeks before I went out to Sedona. And she watched me walk in. Of course, I, I had a little back trouble. And so I was kind of walking in with a little, maybe a little tilt. Uh, but, And then she, I sat down. And then she said, okay. I said, I don't usually like psychics. And she said, I'm not a psychic. She must have been about my age, uh, maybe a little older. But uh, she said, I'm not a psychic. She said, I'm a spiritual guide. I said, okay, fine, okay. I said, but, you know, Larry said you were great. And I said, I come here because he told me to come here. He's, he's a 
fellow researcher. We went to the, these UFO meetings together, and he was a ghost researcher, investigator, and he's written about eight, nine books, I guess, by now. But uh, so him and I work together a lot of times. But she told me, she said, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. I want you to just relax. And then she told me, she said, you got back trouble. I said, oh, I'll give that to you because you probably saw me walk in. That made her mad. You know, she said, okay, no, no, okay. She closed her eyes, and then she said, you're going on a trip. I said, yes, I am, in about 11 days, 12 days. I said, how'd you know that? She said, well, I, I see things, and she pointed up, and then she closed her eyes again, and then she says, October 4th, she said, you're going to see your first alien. I said, well, it won't be my first. I said, but that'll, I said, that's kind of exciting. I said, she said, when are you going out there? I said, she said, she told me I was going, but she didn't tell me when. And then she told me October 4th that I would see this alien. So I said, okay. I said, yeah, I'm going on a trip. I should, I said, I probably arrive in Sedona around October 4th. I'm planning on leaving the, you know, the third or something like, she said, well, you're going to meet, you're going to meet your first alien. I said, like I said, it's not my first. <laughs> and she, she closed her eyes and she said, your car is going to be damaged, but you're going to be able to uh, drive your, tr your car and see your friends in New Mexico. I said, how bad? And she goes, don't worry about it. It's just going to be slightly damaged. You'll be able to drive it. I said, okay. And then she said, there's a blonde woman that's looking for you. I said, would that be a Nordic alien? And uh, she said, that's possibly, I, I can't get, find out who she is. And she told me something else, the fifth thing, and I can't remember it. It's in my notes, but it is kind of like, didn't have anything to do with ETs. But when I went out to uh, Sedona, the third, I got out there the fourth, and I, I took a rest and my brother kept track of me. And he, he called me and he said, he said, I'm, I'm afraid you go out there so the ETs are going to take you. He said, they've been messing with you for some years. Uh, so he said, he, said, uh, he said, I'm afraid they're going to try to take you someday. And I said, no, it's not going to happen. And so I got to my room. So I took a nap for two hours because I, uh, I was driving about 23, 24 hours straight. And I took a nap. I got up, got refreshed, took a shower, went to this gift shop. And the gift shop told me they saw a UFO at Cathedral Rock. If anybody knows anything about Sedona, Cathedral Rock is one of the one of the better ones, of the prettier uh, buttes that they have there. So I said, I know where that's at. I was there the year before, and I went there. Uh, my brother was and I was there before ten years before that also. So I went there, pulled out my camera when I parked. And I started filming because maybe my camera would pick up a UFO because they can pick up things your eyes can't uh, because of something, the infrared way or, or looking through glass, the camera. I, I don't know the all the you know diagnostic things about a camera, what it does, but it can pick up things that we can't see. So I tried to film it and then in pulls behind me this little white car. And I was filming and as I was filming, I looked back and it was a, it was a gal, Japanese gal. I think if you got the book, you probably saw her. Mm. Yeah, she's, she was uh, in her early 30s. I couldn't really tell how old she was. She walks up to me with her hands folded, and she I actually got a video of that where, her, where she walks up to me, and I video, videotaped her uh, with that. And I, I showed that on, uh, on my Facebook page, 
and in a you know one of my shows that I did a a solo show, and I I put that video up, and I filmed her and I asked her what her name was, and she said Hiroko and she acted like a little kid you know she acted kind of weird and I thought, okay I said, uh, and then I I said I'm looking for UFOs and I said you're probably looking for something spiritual too she goes yes, and so I stopped the camera. And I looked at her. I said, "Are you waiting for another group of people?" She goes, "No." She, I said, "Are you going to go uh, hiking?" She goes, "No." I said, "It looks like it's going to start raining. It was really cloudy and cool." And she said, "No, I'm here to see you." I said, "What?" <laughs> I said, "You're here to see me." I said, "You know me?" She goes, "Yes." I said, "I don't know you." I said, <laughs> "This." I said, "This is crazy." I told, <laughs> and she looked at me. She, yeah, I, I, I'm supposed to see you. I said, okay, it started sprinkling. So we got in my car and I started talking to her and she could speak English, but she couldn't write it and she couldn't read it. Uh, she spoke 20 languages, she told me. And she started putting on a cry and she was talking about her mom and dad in Tokyo, Japan. And I said, are you from Tokyo, Japan, really? She goes, yeah. And there was a guy right beside us and I filmed this guy also he's in my camera and i saw this film a couple weeks ago and i put it on on a, on one of my solo shows and this guy pulls out he had a headset on he was a young guy in his uh maybe late 20s he had a short cropped haircut and he had this headset on and he wouldn't look at me or the car every time he pulled out when when she first got there and she watched him so, so there was some kind of connection and she was looking at him kind of strange and I thought, okay, is this a setup, you know, where the girl comes in, softens you up, and then a guy comes in with a gun or a knife and, you know, and yeah. you're, you're robbed, you know. I, and I'm a military-type guy, and I'm always, I'm always prepared for these types of things, and always, I'm always on top of this, but I wasn't worried. There was something about her. When she looked at me, she had these really strong, dark eyes. It was almost like she can look through me, and it, and it just... I told her, I said, don't look at me like that. I said, you're burning a hole in the back of my head. I, told her. I said, wow, Hiroko. I said, that's that's crazy. And uh, and then this guy pulls back in after about 15 minutes being going. And I, and then I looked at her. I said, do you know him? And she goes, no. And I said, okay. <clears throat> I looked at my console uh, at where I had a license to carry a gun. I had a gun in that console. She knew. I didn't even have to tell her. She looked at me and looked at the console, and because I thought there was a setup, because this guy come back for the second time. Well, he pulls out one other time, and then I talked to her. She was telling me about her family. She started putting on a cry, and when 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 she was crying, it was a fake cry. You know, it's kind of like one of these Hollywood cries or whatever. And I put my hand on top of her hand, and and I said it it'll be all right. And then I felt her hand. It's burning hot. I mean, her hand was above fever pitch, above any 105 degree temperature or whatever. It was really hot. And it was kind of like somebody told me uh, that that he, that Daryl Sims told me, and he's, he does a lot of research in this stuff. He said she sounds like somebody who's just getting used to being in a human skin, and her, her uh, energy is really, really hot, and she doesn't have control of it. But I said, okay. Uh, I said, you all right? She goes, yes. I said, well, you got a thin sweater on. And I said, it's chilly out there. I said, usually women usually get really cold. I said, do you need my jacket? She goes, no. And uh, so I, we sat there a while and talked a little bit more. And this guy comes back for the third time. 
And I was getting closer and closer, grabbing that gun. I said, something's <laughs> not right. But I, she give, would look at me and chill me down. Like she would say, it would kind of like say, don't, don't do anything rash. Don't grab a gun. Don't grab a baseball bat. Don't grab a camera. Just, you know, be, be cool. I got that from her looking at me. That's how powerful, you know, she had, she had somewhat of control on me to, mm. to calm me down. Uh, but then we talked and she said, uh, she said that I, I have a boyfriend, but I, I gotta have a baby. I said, you have to have a baby. I said, why do you have to have a baby? She said, I just do. And I said, why don't your boyfriend and you get married? She goes, he's mean. She's making these stories up, I guess, as she is going. And I, 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 I knew that it just wasn't telling the truth. Mm. And she was, she was just trying to act like a human being and she was training herself. She was trying to elicit emotional responses from me so she could learn how to deal, you know, with us humans emotionally. So I said, okay, I'll just keep talking to her. And, and uh, I said, all right. I said, you told me a while ago, I said, you had to see me. She said, yes. And, and says, I, I, and that's what I was supposed to do. And I said, who's telling you you're supposed to see me? She said, nobody. I said, you're not, are you? I said, are you an angel? I said, are you a ET? She goes, no. And every time I mentioned UFO, she'd give me a dirty look. I asked her how old she was. I said, this is a common question I guess I should ask since I'm older than you. I said, how old are you? She gives me a look, a fierce look. And she says, why do people ask age? Why do people ask about years? She said, there are no years. There's no years. There's no time. And I, I looked at her and said, us humans have time. I said, what are you? You know. Uh, so she knew I was on to her a little bit. She knew that even with her kind of dumbing me down a little bit, I was still coming through and telling her I thought maybe there was some red flags popping up on her attitude and her character. So I told her, I said, it's getting late. I said, let's split. I said, do you want to have breakfast tomorrow morning? She goes, uh, I said, meet about 9.30 maybe. She goes, yeah, yeah, we meet. And I said, okay. So I you know, told her where to go in town. Sedona is easy to find places. So she went from her lodge to mine, but she was about 15 minutes late getting there. But I knew, I knew she was coming. I got a message telepathically that she was coming. She, she pulled in about 15, 20 minutes late, and the weather was nice there then that day, but I, I told her, I said, I knew you were coming. I said, uh, let's go inside. So we went inside, we waited around for a little bit, and here's another red flag that popped up. There was only about 12 people standing in, the, in this gift shop waiting to go into the restaurant. And uh, she said, all these people, and she looked around. I looked at her, I said, all these people? I said, and you're from Tokyo? I said, this <laughs> There's a thousand people per block there, you know, more than that, you know. I said, wow. I said, and she looked at me. She knew I was catching her and I was, I was, you know, I was on the out, you know, I was looking out for all the little clues that she was giving. So we went in to eat and she didn't know what to eat. She didn't order. I ordered for her. She didn't eat much and I ate my food and I, and then when we walked out, she went to the bathroom. I think what she was doing, and I caught on to this because she did it again when we went had lunch later that day, she'd go to the bathroom and regurgitate because she didn't eat human food. Mm -hmm. She must have drank some kind of liquid or something. But we got back together, went, went outside, and we went driving around looking, looking at the buttes. And I said, why don't we just drive around? She said, 
I got to leave at, at three your time. And I said, three. I said, okay, that's another three hours. I said, let's go around to a couple of places and then we'll come back. We went around to a couple of places and I told her, uh, I said, I'd, t I'd say a prayer with her. And we held hands and, and it was at this one, uh, I forget what it was. Uh, it was a, it was some kind of a butte that was several of them in a row and I forget, forget the names of them. But it was really nice and the wind was kind of whistling. And she looks at me, she said, you hear that sound? She said, that's beautiful. And then there's a picture I got of her with her arms held out. She had long arms and, you know, she was kind of lanky like that, but uh, otherwise, you know, typically shaped like women her age, whatever. But she, she would say after I prayed for her, she said that prayer will work. I said, hopefully it'll work. You'll have a baby. Your, your boyfriend and you will get together and get married and have a baby. And then she looks at me kind of weird. She said, you're, you're God. I said, yeah, my God. I said, uh, I said, is not your God, you know? She looks at me, doesn't answer, you know. So mm -hmm. apparently she didn't have the same God we did. Uh, so I, I learned things. I started picking up on that. So we took her, I took her to a restaurant, and we had a couple of slices of pizza. And then she looked at me, and her eyes were twinkling. She says, I like you. I said, I like you too. I said, but why were you supposed to meet me? She said, I was just supposed to meet you. And she said, I'm glad I did now. And I said, okay. Uh, so I took her to uh, her car that was parked at my lodge. And she had a rental car. And I, and I we parted the ways. And she asked me for the pictures. She wanted a copy of the pictures. It took about nine pictures. And uh, I've shown only about three or four of them, I guess. But I took about nine of them. And she says, can you send them to me? I said, how? I said, you're in, you're in Japan. She goes, she gives me an email address, uh, that, that I tried to, when I got back home, I give it to a buddy of mine who was a detective. And I told him, I said, can you trace this email? He said, yeah, we do it all the time. He said, I got somebody in Chicago that'll do that. He tried to trace it. He couldn't trace the email. He said it didn't, ended up bouncing all the time, but there wasn't nothing there. And I said, wow. I, so I wrote her several times and I only sent I sent two pictures at a time trying to, you know, stretch this thing out to see if I can get a real positive answer from her. There was when they, when she wrote back, it was only a few lines and she wasn't writing because she can't write English. Mm -hmm. Somebody else or handler. See, sometimes these hybrids or these ET humanoids, they have a sponsor, an earthly sponsor. They have security. Well, the guy that was uh, the young guy was their security. Uh, there was a there was an older Japanese gentleman I ran into an airport lookout. He was the sponsor, and she knew him. She didn't say nothing to him. And I said, "Why didn't you say hi to your fellow countrymen?" She said, "We don't do that. That's rude." I said, "What? That's not rude." <laughs> I said, "If I see if I see a uh, an American in a foreign country, I say, hey, Yank.' You know, you know so you know that's that's the common mm -hmm. thing. I did that in, when I was in the Philippines. I saw Americans. I said, "Hey, Yankee." You know, I always said, I do that all the time. But uh, uh, she was just kind of, she tried to stay away from the truth, and she was really good at it. If people come out and tell you they're aliens or ETs, they're more than likely lying because they don't tell you. Mm -hmm. They'll show you. They, sh they kind of show you. You have to be very watchful. They got a different kind of energy, and you can feel it. And once you get used to feeling that energy, you can just about 
read them and what they're what they're saying doing so i sent her the pictures and i told her i said the last email i sent to her i told her i said i know you're an et i said you're you're an alien and i said i know that and uh she didn't she didn't write back uh or or whoever was handling her her emails didn't write back after that and uh so i just wanted to let her know i was on to her well lo and behold i had a regress dream in that situation this regress dream happened several months later it was uh actually maybe six months later maybe four months later i had I had a regress dream and it was very vivid I was laying in the same bed I was laying in room 14 at this lodge. I was laying there in the bed and I, I felt somebody messing around. My right knee was sticking in the air and then somebody, I couldn't, I just saw the dark, you know, outline of them. They looked humanoid. They had this brownish hose going to my groin. I knew what that was. That was a semen sample. That's how they take semen samples. And so, I kicked it away. I was half asleep. I kicked it away, and when I did, they knocked me out totally. So I, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't mess with them. So I I was out totally. Then they got me up. One had my left arm, and the other one was had uh, my right shoulder, and they had a bright light. It was a tubular light. This is a device they use to erase your memory, and. I saw two dark silhouettes of humanoids sitting at the little table in the room on my right side. As I was walking, I was walking towards the patio doors, I, they shined this light in my eyes and it hurt really bad. I mean, it was, it was like I had to close my eyes every time they did it. So they kept doing it. They walked me back and forth twice. And then after that, I remember being laid back in my bed and that was it. But I think this Heroku had something to do with that. And I had she's had semen samples from me before and she took more from me for some reason i'm carrying around some energy or some duplicate et in which i was duplicated uh not, that's another story <laughs> i was uh, had a i had a uh vor dog uh so they made a double of me but she uh, all that come together and i thought wow the semen sample, her wanting the baby, and it was done right there that night. And I said, what a coincidence, or was it? You know, I said, they didn't erase all my memory because they only got uh, some of it. They, they might have been amateurs at it. I don't know, but I, I was able to have some of that memory of what they were doing to me. Uh, but I always wondered, why were they walking me? Why didn't they do it while I was in bed, you know, put the light in my face? Because when you're laying in bed, your eyes are closed. That's the scientific or, or the medical thing that uh, terminology I can use on that. When you get up, you open your eyes, right? When you're mm -hmm. walking, you're going to open your eyes because you don't want to fall or trip on something. So they were smart enough to know that. I mean, they must have been well, a lot smarter than me. But they knew that when I was walking, my eyes would be open and they could shine that light in my eyes. And actually at Harvard and uh, I think Oxford, they found out that they can't erase memory with bright light a certain kind of frequency, a light frequency. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a bright light. It's just a certain light frequency that they can use. And they're using it. They've been using it, our military, and they've been using all this stuff for some years. This is stuff that they've learned from the ETs. Uh, 
a lot of stuff we don't know they know and uh actually there are some uh humans that are actually abducting us too i don't know if you ever heard that no i haven't heard that one before they, they are they're they're actually working together yeah so getting back to uh, this heroku story uh that regression was really something you know that i i felt and when you have these regressed lucid dreams you know you're into something you you know you can touch things you can see things you can actually talk to people and it's weird uh it's it, it i think they do it they give you little bits and pieces to remember and i remember being on two or three different ships and i can tell you i, I saw somebody in uh, facebook say well a lot of these people who have these experiences they tell the same thing all the time oh they were taken they were they were put to sleep but they never they never they can never tell you what the ets look like or what the inside of a ship looks like i wrote this guy and i said i can <laughs> read my book i said i've been in I've, I've been in three or four ships and i've seen them and i know what they look like they're not dirty they're not scummy like the i guess with what they had back in the 70s with travis walton they the hollywood glamorized that they made a really slimy stuff coming off of the walls of the ship it, it, it wasn't like that it was pure clean with the stainless steel looking walls and a floor where it was just a little bit rough and looked a little a little brown and you know but yeah i've been in the inside of them but following up with hiroko six months later and uh she come and two 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 young guys japanese guys they were taller for japanese i saw them down the road about 180 feet away 200 feet away and they stopped at the stop sign they were walking and they the three of them was walking together my cousin was with me he was on the porch with me and he said who are these chinese i said no they're japanese he said do you know them i said i might i said i might know the, the girl i said the girl had the white sweater on same denim pants and and the, the two young japanese guys had kind of like modern clothes on and they were kind of tried to fit in but they were walking towards me and she turned around turned her face away from me and she looked the other way while the two boys come up to us on the porch and my cousin said uh who are they do you know them?" i said no i just told you i, I don't know these two i think i know her so they walked up to us and one and they both had these dark piercing eyes just like her mother these these were her kids maybe mine too Mm -hmm. I'm thinking they could be my hybrids. So she stayed away and she didn't turn. And this one, the taller one, the older one looked like he was about 15, 16, the other one 14, 15. They were tall for their, their age. But he looked at me, he said, where's the Walmart? I said, it's over that overpass, that away. That was the last words I got out of my mouth. That was it. I couldn't talk anymore. My cousin, who talks a mile a minute, sometimes he gets pretty rude. He was just sitting there. His eyes were all glazed over. I said, oh, no, what's going on? I was able to move my head a little bit in my eyes. I can look, but I couldn't talk. I, I wanted to ask him, I said, is that Hiroko down the street there? Is that, that's got to be her. I couldn't get it out of my mouth. I could not talk. I was dumbed completely down. I was only able to observe. That's all they wanted us to do. Well, they... One of them went past me and got my little, uh, it's a little pleather case, you know, the, kind of like a vinyl case that I kept my notes in to mm -hmm. keep dry. And I had some of his mom's notes in that, in that uh, case. 
he went through it and he looked at it and I'm sitting there not connecting the dots because I'm completely dumbed down. I don't know what's going on. And I thought, what's going on here? You know, why has he got that case? He didn't have the case in his hand when he walked up and he was going through it and he kept looking at me. He gave me kind of like weird looks and then he closed it up and he must have walked past me. He had to go right past me about a foot or so by me to go in my house. He put that case right back where he got it. Apparently, he must have took uh, two or three pages of notes in which were about his mother. But the thing the thing with that is I had double notes. I made, copy, <laughs> I made copies of notes. So I said, I got, I screwed him on that one, you know, but that uh, they come back out and they were standing there looking at us and I was still wanting to talk and I couldn't talk. They turned and walked away. And when they got across the road, I was able brought my road just about, you know, 75 feet away. Uh, I was able to talk. I looked at my cousin. I said, are you all right? And he said, he kind of shook his head. He said, what just happened? I said, we were dumbed down by ETs. He said, ETs, he said, Dave, he said, you're going to mess with these things. He said, they're going to kill you one of these days. I said, they haven't yet. I said, and he said, man, he said, this is crazy. He said, when did you start seeing them? I said, as soon as they walked across that, that road. I said, they're walking up to Hiroko. He said, who in the hell is Hiroko? I said, the gal I met in Sedona, that's an ET. He said, Jesus Christ, he gets up. And, and I said, let's just watch what they're doing. They got together. They walked up to the stop sign. About She was only about 60 feet or so away from the stop sign. They walked up to the stop sign. And when we looked at it, we were looking right at them. I said, let's watch them. They just disappeared. They didn't go down the road or up the road because we could see both ways. They they were just gone. And, uh, and he said, what just happened? He said, uh, he said, this is, he turned pale white and he was just really scared. And he said, I'm getting the hell out of here. He said, you better stay away from them, them ETs. He said, this is crazy. He gets in his truck and he just takes off. And, and uh, his wife asked me the next day, said, what did you do to him? I said, I did nothing to him. I said, he had an ET event. And I said, it's his first one. And I said, he was dumbed down. And she said, something happened to him. She said, I can tell by the way he was acting. I said, yeah, it really happened. And every time you mention it today, my brother even mentioned it to him about a month ago. We had lunch together, and he said, he said, how would you like to be uh, dumbed down again by the ETs? He goes quiet, and he looks at him like, no. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, so he was, a, he was an eyewitness to all that. And uh, actually, what happened just about two weeks later after that, a huge triangle craft uh, come up across. It was only it was right right at treetop, only about 35 feet up because the tree across the way was only about 40 feet up. And I saw these two bright lights, and I was talking to my brother on the phone. And I just got back from a UFO convention in Arkansas, and I was kind of resting around, sitting around the front porch, and I saw these two bright lights, and they were coming towards me from the north. And I thought, okay, I told my brother, I'm going to watch what's going on here. I said, something weird is coming this way. And he says, okay. So I stood there in the driveway and watched this huge triangle craft come over me. And had the, had the two bright lights on the back corners. And then on the front, it had two large glass, like uh, like you would say, like these old-time globes, glass globes on, on light bulbs. That you see in these old factories and stuff it looked like them two globes hanging down about 15 feet long about six feet wide five six feet wide and I, those were those that was in the nose of the craft and those should have been white too really bright lights 
uh, because there's three, you can see there's on these big triangle craft, there's usually three big bright lights at each corner of the triangle. Uh, and in the center was a dry, uh, it was about 25, 30 feet uh, diameter, looks like a barbecue grill, like it had slats in it. I can hear some humming and whistling, like I told you earlier that I did hear a craft. This thing had a humming and whistling to it from that, from that uh, kind of a screen looking barbecue grill. And then up in front of that, there was kind of like a notch cut out that uh, went up to the front. And in the back, it had a, had a little red light back behind the, the grill looking thing. And I thought to myself, wow, this is, it was, it was dark gray. The craft was dark gray and I looked up, I didn't see the top of it, I just saw the bottom. I looked at this thing going over me and it's kind of like massive. I mean, it took up the whole neighborhood. There's nine houses long. And my mom, my mom and my two brothers saw it down the street. And I asked my mom, said, why didn't you come out on the porch and look at it? She said, I saw enough. She said, I saw it out of my picture window. She said, it's huge. And she said, I was afraid of being abducted. And I told her, I said, that's a weird word for you, for you to use, mom. And she was about 86 at that time, 85. And, uh, and she was very, you know, uh, you know, tuned into this stuff. And she knew what it was. And she, she said it killed her plants in the front yard, I guess, slight radiation, whatever. I said, Yeah, I said, my tree was turned brown at the top and a tree across the street also turned brown. And I called the uh, sheriff's department to try to report it. And the gal that was there, uh, I talked to her and she, she says, uh, she said, you, you, she said, I'm not going to think you're crazy. She said, there's two, two officers standing right here right now who, ha, who have actually seen weird things. She said, what did you see? She said, we're interested. And I told her what, what I saw. And I said, do you have any other reports? She said, no, not, not so far. But she says, no, we're not going to laugh at anybody for UFO reports. She said, because our officers think they're real because they have seen these things. I said, Wow, that's great. <laughs> you know, because a lot of times, you know, you call certain ones, maybe in New York or something, or Chicago, they might call you crazy. But, you know, in, in my town, it's a smaller town, a smaller county. Well, it's a big county, but uh, they're they're real people. And, and they've actually seen these things in, in this area. We have a lot of UFOs in this area, in the southern Illinois area. And this is where I saw all my, my craft, all my UFOs. And I saw another one coming, going from Springfield, Illinois to here, in which was about an hour and 40 minute drive, I saw a craft come right over me on the highway. There was four or five other vehicles on the road and I slowed down. I saw the light coming from the south. There is a story attached to this that I went in town, listened to a band, these people that I know, the, the husband and wife team, great musicians, but I went there to see them and I come back. And as I was coming back, this craft come right over me and it was about 40 feet diameter it had a dark ring in the middle of it and then had four pie cuts look like pie cut squares uh and they were glass looking they look like they you can you, know, you can see through them they're luminous with mm. it was lit it was light and it come right over me i thought to myself why am i seeing all this stuff why is all this this crap happening to me i said that in my car and i was wondering wow and when i got home actually i, I went through a time jump I got home about 35 minutes faster than what I should have. Something just weird just happened. And uh, I saw that craft had come right over me. Why didn't it go over other cars? Why did it make that turn right at me? 
And, and why did that big triangle craft come right over me and I was standing in the middle of it? Why is all this stuff happening? I, I ask myself, a lot of people say, wow, you've had so many things that, you know, it's hard to believe. And actually, us ufologists and the people with talking heads, we are our own worst enemies. Because a lot of times when, when people tell you stories and they're tell you, telling you their experiences and they tell them the same way every time, these people are telling the truth about things. They've seen things. They've witnessed things. And myself, when I host the show, I like to have, you know, beginners, experiencers come on the show and talk about their, their experiences. A lot of times they're afraid and they're nervous. Uh, but I, told them, I tell them, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. And in, at the breaks, a lot of times I'll have to settle them down. I said, well, tell them what, what the ET looked like and on all this other stuff. So I... I want the experiencers to come forward i don't want to be like a gatekeeper or a talking head i'm not a talking head i'm not like uh you know like linda moulton hall i know her personally uh kathy martin you know i i met a lot of these guys uh and they're they're kind of like gatekeepers uh but a lot of these people will only believe certain stories and and foo-foo others and i say don't don't do that you know, I even made a comment on, I don't want to say who I made the comment to. I said, don't knock somebody's experiences. You don't know if they're true or not. We're not the judge. We can't judge somebody. I, that's why I want to hear new stories. I always like to hear people come forward and say, tell me your story. Tell me your experience. You know, uh, that's what I like to hear. I, I want that because everybody has a piece of the puzzle that, that you'll, you'll find that it it's reminiscent of what happened to you. And I found out a lot in talking to people. I found out that, that they have bits and pieces, like they hear little clicks or little ticks at night by their bed. And that's exactly what I hear. And then they feel like, like energy pulsating on certain parts of their body. And I said, well, that's what I feel. So it helps us all understand what's going on here. Mm -hmm. there's, there's things going on as people being abducted they don't even know. And yes, I think humans here on Earth are trained to do that. They've got ET technology where they can they can dumb you down, knock you out. They can actually do the DNA experiments with you and everything else, just like the ETs do. You know, so they're back back engineering all that stuff, the psychology and also the technology of doing it. Uh, I guess one of the other things I wanted to talk about is is I told you about the ships that I've been on. I'll mm -hmm. tell you about the three super, super dreams that I had, regressed lucid dreams. The first one, I was off planet. I was on another planet. I woke up and I was in this room with some other humanoids. I didn't see their faces too well. They were young guys. So this must have come from my young experiences from the 60s. This must have been a regressed dream that they took me to another planet and they can do that just by going through the, I guess, the wormhole. They can just take you through to another dimension. And I was on this planet, and I was playing drums, and uh, I saw that the, the mechanics of the drums were different than ours. The snare just had a, two arms that held the snare. Ours has three. And I noticed those little things. I thought, what's going on? Where am I at? And then they wanted to go run outside and play. So I must have been younger when I was there about 15 or 16 this happened after my after my first abduction probably and i ended up sitting on a 
on a pile of wood with a young girl. And I looked to my left, and up in the sky I saw two suns. They weren't too far apart. They were two suns. And then I saw a river, water, and I saw green trees. It was kind of cool, kind of reminded you of kind of like a Seattle-type thing out Washington State where the green uh, trees and, and the water. And there was a mine that was there, and I noticed that uh, there was humanoids going down into the mine, and they'd come back out, and they had this black stuff on them. I was looking at them, and I, and I looked around at the other kids that were playing in the, this yard, lumber yard, it looked like, and I looked at the girl, and this is a strange question I, that I asked. I asked her, I said, do you believe in God? And she, she looked at me, and, and then she looked over my head, and I was wondering, what is she looking at? I looked up, and there was a man dressed in black, had a black hat on, tall, black outfit on, long coat, and he motioned for me. And so I went up to him. He says, you got to go now. And I said, I have to go? He said, yes. And I looked down, and I saw these two little carved-out toys. They were kind of made out of some kind of acrylic glass or something, and it was kind of like, it looked like little dinosaur toys. And I picked them up, put them in my pockets. And I slept, I sleep in, in the, what I call the night shorts, and they, and they usually have pockets in them. Mm -hmm. And they're sleepwear, actually. And, and that's what I, I slept in, and I had pockets. So I put them on my pockets, and I, and I turned, and the guy told me, walk that away. So I walked down this, this, uh, this hallway, not a hallway, it was, it was a, a board, boardwalk, whatever. And as I walked, I disappeared. I come back, and I ended up in my bed. And I thought to myself, wow, what a dream. And I took it all in. I mean, I remembered every little piece of it. And I, I thought they took me to another planet. And I heard that if you go to a planet where you see two suns, it's for real. You're, you're on another planet, another dimension. So these two suns were, were about the same size. They look like our sun, but is that, they were actually closer. They kind of look like the moon when it's close to us. Mm -hmm. the, these suns were smaller, but they looked like they were closer to the planet. So they must have not been as strong or as strong as our sun is. Uh, but they did have light, and it was fairly warm. It wasn't really hot. But I remember that plain as day, and I'll, I'll never forget that. The other times, I was on board ship. I went, and I, I woke up in this room. It was a it was stainless steel, same type of room that I've seen before, and it had a glass laboratory looking looking thing in it. And then there was an older uh, gentleman. He was a humanoid. I didn't see his face. I saw his arms. I saw the hairs on his arms, and this which is weird is the only thing they showed me. That shows me that they're humanoid. They want me to remember that part. But he had blue splotches on his body. That meant he was a hybrid blue alien. There are blue aliens, they, they, they call them. And uh, I never saw a total blue one, but I saw he had blue splotches on his arms. And uh, I didn't see his face, so I couldn't tell if he had a blue face. But I saw him with his arms, and he was touching some panels, just like the same panels I've seen. They just protrude out of the wall. There's no gauges. There's no, no needles. They touch them, and they, they can make things happen. He tells me, he says, go over and lay down behind this person 
it was a woman. She had long, dark hair. I didn't see who it was, but I saw her long, dark hair. He had me lay down. It was a white blanket, like I, I lay down behind her. And we actually, you know, I guess made love because it felt like love, you know, mm -hmm. making love. And, and then I got up and he told me, he says, come over here telepathically. He never talked to me. And I went over by him and he touched another panel uh, a protrusion from the wall and he says walk that away walked it was a hallway about five or six feet wide and about eight feet tall and he says walk that hallway so i walked the hallway and when i did i disappeared and come back into my bed and that was you what they do is they transport you and that hallway they you walk through a hallway and you're transported you you eventually you start off solid but as you go you're you, you, you disappear and then you, you go and you travel back to where you come. Uh, the technology is something that we can't fathom. But is I it like a portal of some sort? Is that kind of the idea or is it like a totally different type of technology? Well, it's actually, it's actually like in, in a, like you'd have in, in a Star Trek, something like that, where they beamed you up. That's it, kind of the idea I was getting to. Yeah, that was what, what the, I was walking the hall, and that's what would happen. I would walk that hall, and I'd eventually disappear, and then, then I'd be beamed back to where I come from. So that incident happened. The big incident that happened to me and when I was abducted, I'd been abducted about maybe five or six times that I can relate to, and uh, running short on a little bit on time. So I'll tell you this one here, too, since people want to hear what these these. Uh, these uh, craft look like especially on the inside I ended up standing in the middle of a hallway and I looked behind me and there was one of those hallways that I was telling you about about five or six feet wide about mm -hmm. eight, eight feet tall and I looked back and I saw that hallway well that's where I come from I ended up standing in the middle of a hallway in a huge craft and I saw you know some some humanoids walking down the hallways really long and I kept walking straight ahead and I looked in there's rooms and in the rooms I saw humanoids they were shaped like humanoids they were maybe taller they were sitting at some kind of desk or table and they were working or whatever and I and I walked past and I saw several rooms like that and I thought to myself this is weird. I said, how come I, I can't see their faces, but I can see their bodies, but I can't see their faces. They, they kept that from me in my memory. So when I walk, got down at the end of it, there was a big open area. It was kind of like a, a convention hall. It was huge. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of humanoid looking, you know, humans. They, they might've been humans or tall whites in which I found out they were tall whites. They were there and then there was three podiums. On each podium, there was a tall, white ET. I couldn't see him because I was at a distance with this. And they had a rope or some kind of a leash on an animal. One of them looked like part kangaroo and part monkey. And I thought, what is this? The first thing come to my mind, that's a Noah's Ark ship. What they do is they produce life forms and they place them on certain planets. They know what planets to place them on. And that's the only thing I can gather. And I saw all these people standing there, and I guess they were showing the different animals they were making for different planets. So, so they would, they would uh, uh, I guess, populate them 
just like they did us humans. They populated us here about 60,000 years ago when they DNA, you know, uh, manipulated us. But I saw all these people and I thought, wow, that's cool. But something was guiding me, telling me what to do. Okay, you saw enough. I'll turn around and come back. So I started coming back and I was walking and I looked down at my feet and at this little, it's a little rough floor, like it looked like a real rough carpet, but it, it was kind of tan in color. Uh, darker tan, but I noticed that, and uh, and I noticed a black box. It was about a foot by a foot. It was following my right foot, and it was just moving along with my right foot. And I look, kept looking down at it. I said, "What the hell is that? What is that following my right foot?" And I couldn't figure it out. But then I found out through talking to other people. One person here just in this past year or so I talked to that had a similar dream, and they said that was a soul that you were carrying back with you back to earth that was going to be given to somebody else or it was going to be reincarnated. The big word is reincarnation, Shane. That's the big word. Uh, that's what I'm gathering from all these DTs and all these events and even some religions like Hindu, Buddhist, uh, it's reincarnation. Just uh, recycling consciousness is the yes. idea? Yes, your, your soul, your spirit. So I walked down this hallway and this, this black box kept following me. I saw these women in white robes. Now, the robes didn't look like the ones that I told you I saw. I saw another uh, woman in a white, big wedding kind of looking gown in 99 in, the, in another house that I lived in. And I saw it twice. That's the second time I've seen the, the woman in white, I call it. And then she walked into my bathroom and I followed her and she was gone. So I'll just real quick, I just, I forgot to tell that one, but the, that's, I don't think that's in my book because I'm going to be talking about that in my new book, in the Angels book. Uh, but when I got to these, there was three women. They looked like nuns. They, they were in these white, heavy robes, and they had, they had a, you know, a, a, over their heads, and they were looking at something. So I peered between them, and laying in this little bed was a six-month-old baby, human baby. It had three eyes. And the eyes were right across the eye, the brow line, not up here like a cyclops, but down here around the brow line. And it was three eyes across. And I said, wow, that's weird, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I, I looked, uh, these ladies looked at me, but I didn't see their faces. I, it was just weird how they just blocked that out. And, but I knew they were, they were about five, seven, five, eight. They were, they were humans. I think they were actually working for the tall whites so the reason i know they're tall whites is because when i turned around something told me to turn around i looked there was a woman walking towards me she was about seven feet tall maybe taller and she had no hair she had big like almond eyes very well proportioned like you would just carve a woman a seven and a half foot woman uh you'd carve them with a knife and there's she was beautiful in a way she was really light skinned and like I said, she had dark eyes and she come up to me and then she walks over to this panel, like I said, protruding another, just another ship that had protruding wall, like round things. She put her hand on it and when she did, she disappeared right in front of me. And I said, wow, she come back and I said, wow, how did you do that? And she just grimaced. She, her lip just grimaced a little bit and she looked at me. And I had one scientist I was talking to. He said, you know why she did that? 
said she wasn't listening to you. You're such a low ant creature that they don't even care what we think or what we say. You know, they don't even care. You know, uh, I said, yeah, that's probably right. You know, they're, they're, they're so far advanced. And, and then she motioned for me to follow her. This is all telepathically. They was telling me what to do. So she walks down this hall. And I walk in behind her. Same way, this five by six, five and six feet wide, eight feet tall. And I follow her. So I walk in behind her. And when I walk with her for a while, I end up back in my bed. And then I wake up and I said, oh, my God. Wow, what was that all about? You know, it's like, are they, there's three ways they, they can abduct you. Number one is bedside just like the little gray, ugly alien did to me. He did a bedside exam, frequency exam, magnetic exam, blood, DNA, semen samples. They do that, bedside. Uh, that's one way. The second way is they take you on their craft and and physically take you on their craft. And I, I imagine I probably was physically taken on that one craft I just told you about. That's what happens to me a lot that I... I come back and the third way they they abduct you is they take your energy, your soul, and your consciousness. And they take that and you go through dimensions. They take you with them through dimensions and they, they do things, they show you things. Or you're working or you're doing things that you don't know about. And uh, which takes me, the reason why I'm saying there's three ways they, they abduct you. The third way has happened to me six years in a row. I can tell you the dates. Uh, I got them right here. It's August 13th, 2016. Here's what happens to me. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up. And this is August, and it's hot. I wake up with my arms crossed, like I'm in a casket or something. And I'm really cold. I mean, my whole body is frozen. I can feel my arms, and they're frozen like I just come out of a freezer for about three, four hours. And I thought, wow, what is this? My wife did not wake up. I was shaking the whole bed. The whole bed was just shaking. And I'm a big guy. When I shake the bed, I mean, that bed's shaking. <laughs> and she did not wake up. Normally, she would wake up if my cell phone dropped off the nightstand and hit the carpeted floor, just a little thud. She would hear it. She said, what was that? But she did not hear a thing. This happened to me six years in a row. I would get up shaking all over go to the bathroom like I'm, I'm instructed to do this. My mind is blank. I'm not waking my wife up. I'm not saying a word. I go and take a pee, I, and I'm shaking so violently on the toilet. I, you know, I, I think, am I dead or what? I, I didn't really think too much. I was just totally blank, but I, those are little things that come to me. But I walked back to my bed, got under the blankets again, and I was shaking, and then I just fell, fell asleep. I was exhausted. I, I don't know why it's happening but it happened uh, the, a year later in 2017 let's see yeah 2017 august 16th only three days apart and then uh january 24th apparently they missed it uh, a date in 2018 so they made up for it in january uh in 2019 and, and then august 10th it happened again in 2019 and then it, it happened again september 2nd 2021 so I'm about maybe two, three weeks away from this happening again, and I'm a little afraid. Somebody asked me, said, don't you get afraid of all these things happening to you? I am a little afraid about this issue 
six years in a row, right on nearly the same day, only only two days apart, and and only one was out of whack because they missed it, I guess, for some reason, and they come back in January and did it. But the room is 70 degrees. I had blankets on, and it's August. Mm. I shouldn't have been cold. No. Well, I've talked to three doctors, three doctors. I talked to my really good doctor last September, and uh, she's excellent doctor. And she asked me questions. She looked at the computer. She says, well, you're not sure you're not a diabetic. I said, no. She looks at the blood. She said, you shouldn't have anything that causes that. She said, you sure the air conditioner was working right? I said, yeah, it was 70 degrees in the room. And, uh, and I said, I said, I was under blankets. I said, I should have been warm instead of cold. And she looks at the other doctor that she was training and she didn't know what to say. But then I dropped the bomb on her. I told her, I said, doctor, I said, this has happened. Now this is the sixth time it's happened in six years. I said, it happens almost on the day between uh, August 10th and August 13th. And then September 2nd, it happened this year. I told her she looked at me. She didn't know what to think. She didn't, she looked at the other doctor. She goes, I don't know. She says, you got me confused. She's, and I talked to another doctor. They said the same thing. They don't know what's going on. So neither do I, you know, so those freezing events are scary. Somebody asked me, are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid maybe the next time might be the last. I think what they're doing, they're taking me to another dimension. I'm completely wiped out because I don't have my mind or memory with me. It's usually just my consciousness, my spirit, and my energy. They got to take my energy because that's what's got to keep my consciousness and my spirit going. Yeah. So when they bring me back, that's when I wake up and I have to pee, but I don't, I don't have the forethought to tell my wife, you know, something's going on. I'm afraid if I would have told her and she would have felt how cold I was, she would probably call an ambulance. You know, she would, she would probably think that uh, I'm dying. And I, I did too. I mean, real quick, like, but it, it wasn't, I was, my mind was just empty. Yeah. And this is what they, they've been doing to me. And that's why I say there's three ways that they, they, they do things to you in an abduction. But I, uh, when I see these, these aliens, I, I think, wow, uh, it's scary. Sure, it's scary. Uh, but I've always had pretty pleasant, you know, things going on with me. I, I've seen actually human uh, ETs, and they're strange. Uh, I've seen them in the, there's one guy who come in, I was at a Cabela's. I was looking actually for some uh, shirts, some, some things to wear to, to go out west. Well, this guy walks in, tall guy, about 6'3", kind of a husky-looking guy, and he wore about a $600 suit. He comes in and stands at the, the the shorts rack, and I looked at him, and I thought, he's got too much money. He don't belong here. <laughs> yes. I thought this was – he didn't say nothing. He just stared at me. This went on for two minutes. I didn't say nothing either. He must have had me kind of like he had my tongue I guess laid down something I didn't say nothing I usually will say something to somebody but when these interactions happen with these energies you don't say nothing you're you're you're, you're calm you're peaceful and you're just supposed to observe so this guy just stared at me for two minutes standing there and he's taller and bigger than I was and I, I I kept looking at him when I put my shards in the cart and he finally turns and walks away he walks around this one aisle when he did I ran real quick as quick as I could, waddle or whatever. <laughs> I, went to, I went around this corner and I looked. He was gone, completely gone. 
just disappeared again, kind of like the story you were saying earlier? Just disappeared. My brother and I was at a museum in St. Louis. Uh, we was at a at a uh, Egyptian, you know, a museum where they had these archives and all these artifacts there for an Egyptian display. And there was a guy standing behind us. Now he looked like a normal guy, like he was a little had a little weight on him, and he had tan slacks and a white shirt on. And he didn't have no museum tags on him. They usually wear IDs. You know? mm -hmm. They they have these, you know, lanyards with the IDs. He didn't have any of that. And he was watching my brother and I. And I turned around, I felt weird. I looked at him, he was watching me. And he was just standing there. And he had his hands behind his back. And, uh, and I looked around again, and we were looking at some of the museum things. And I looked around again, and I said, this guy's strange. I feel strange energy from him. And, and I told my brother, I said, uh, I said, turn around, look at this guy. He's watching us. I said, he doesn't belong. He doesn't have any ID or nothing. And why is he standing there and watching us? So my brother turns around and looks, and he said, yeah. He said, he's strange. He said, this is weird. And I said, yeah. And as soon as he knew that we were talking about him, he, he, uh, he took off and he went around. One of the displays, my brother and I, both of us together, didn't even have to be told, we took off following him. We went and looked. He was gone. He disappeared around, you know, one of the uh, glass uh, exhibits. You know, so, yeah, there's strange people out there, and there are human ETs. I think I've even talked to a few of them. Some you can't prove it. The real ones won't tell you because if they do, then they're taken off the planet or they're put underground in their underground bases where they don't see sunlight anymore. <laughs> so they don't say, they don't tell you that they can't. They're not supposed to actually show you any technology that's that's further advanced than what we are now. Well, well, with the military, they're they're way advanced, and they they know they're working with ETs, they're partnering with them back engineering. So, you know, let's let's be honest about that. You know, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So, I guess we're about to our wits end here. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, about two hours or so. But before we start wrapping up, though, um, I like to get words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners, if you don't mind, uh, bestowing some wisdom. All right. I talked about it earlier about I think people should be aware of what's going on in this world. Our history, UFOs, everything that you've learned about ancient Egyptian uh, mysteries, you haven't learned the truth. There's elites and there's powerful people that keep the truth from us. There's reptilian aliens here who are shapeshifters. They're humanoids. They turn into humanoids, and they work in government. They work in banks. They're here with us. And also, because uh, I've seen one girl that was a reptilian, and I saw her eye, and that, that was enough for me to tell what she was. I ran into her in, in a nightclub that, that we, my band, my brothers, were going to play at. And she was an excellent dancer and really, really pretty. They usually take the form of an attractive human, either male or female. And they do this because, of course, they can attract, you know, you can attract more bees with honey than anything else or, or bears with honey. So that's what they do. Don't, don't tell people that they're lying when they have an experience. That experience could be real to them. They could have been taken just like I have been. Their, their soul and their spirit and their consciousness could be taken somewhere else and then come back. 
we and and they call those dreams but if they're really lucid dreams and you put your finger on them believe it something happened so don't deny the fact that there's ets and ufos there's ufos all over the place now we don't know why they're all over they're everywhere everybody sees them. there's 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 something going on the world is moving fast now there's something just happening we have and don't believe our governments they're looking for a new world order illuminati all these deep state people cabals uh human traffickers they're in it for the money they're in it to control us they want us to be their their slaves we already are slaves but they want they want more control and this is where the government's going this is where the new world order is going this is where you see people there's a there's a president of sri lanka he had to get the hell out of Dodge. He was catching a boat. He had to get out because people were going to kill him. Because I guess they find out he's he is corrupt, and he's part of the deep state and the cabal. Uh, it's just like uh, you know the Canadian prime minister. You know he's uh, he's in bed with the Chinese. Yeah, Trudeau. He's in bed with the Chinese. So just people, don't turn your back on these types of things and say, oh, that's ridiculous. Those are just conspiracies. No, they're not. This is happening. This is real. It's it's falling right down in front of us. UFOs disclosure. The government's not going to really disclose everything because the reason why is because they've been getting technology from them. They don't want to break that contract with these ETs. And ETs may not be prepared for us because we don't have the level of consciousness to accept ETs. That's like people that are you know going to church or whatever. They they're fundamentalists. They're, they're trained that ETs don't exist. We're the only life form in the universe, our universes. That's not true. I mean, I'm not knocking fundamentalists, but that's their beliefs. They don't believe that there's life. So open your minds, have, you know, just be able to be open-minded and raise your consciousness level because that's where it's at. The higher your consciousness level, the higher you're going to go in heaven. We do go to another level, dimensional level after we die. Our souls go to another dimensional level. We're reincarnated somehow or another. They say sometimes we're, uh, we're angels for a while, and I'm, I'm doing a book now and learning a lot about that. So next time I'm able to talk uh, to you, I might be finished with that book, and I might be able to talk more about that. But just have, leave your mind open and know that what history, what they're teaching us about history, and now they're really trying to rewrite history here politically, here in this country. So just know that what they're telling you is probably wrong and history is probably wrong. Oh yeah, definitely. And even just with the aspect of the internet too, nowadays, like think about how easy it is to change and control information. Right. And even with uh, like NASA coming out with this new UFO organization and uh, there's a couple other ones that I was hearing about. It's again, trying to control the narrative right. um, because they want to make it so that you only know what they want you to know. That's it. That's uh, right. But I'd like to thank everybody for listening to me. Uh, buy the book, They, What Do They Want? Uh, it's still out there on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, Kindle. So if you want to buy that, uh, take a look at that. All my stories are in there, plus a few more stories. Uh, is there any other forms of uh, social media or anything like that that you'd like to give out to anybody that's trying to get in contact with you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on, I'm on, I got a lot of videos on YouTube. Uh, I'm on the Internet, Google. Uh, you can Google my name and UFOs and you'll come up with all kinds of interviews. I've been interviewed for the last three or four years. I've been hosting also on radio stations. 
so I, I'm all over the internet. Uh, I don't. The only website I have is with my uh, publisher with the, the book they. It's uh, Hangar One uh, Publishers. They can go to that that site and they can they can see you know all the information about uh, my my first book they and my second book Senseless Wars, as uh, conflicts. That's coming out in three weeks. So look for that too. Yeah, and I'll try to add as many descript or as many links as I can into the script and into the bottom too. Okay. Um, I really appreciate you making the time to sit down and have this conversation with me, and I really ex- appreciate you sharing your experiences with me. Thank you, Shane, and uh, and bless those darling kids you got. Thank you. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I can have you on again. Hopefully, sooner than later. I'd love to come have you back on and talk about that new book you're today and is uh, going to come out soon because I definitely love getting into the angel conversation. Right. I, I will do that. I'm learning a lot there. So I will do that. Awesome. Thanks again. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, I guess I'll catch you on the next one. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.